When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This week on RVER, sponsored by Progressive Insurance. I'm sorry, I can't operate on that vehicle. But doctor, you took an oath. That RV, it's my son's RV. Oh, doctor, isn't there anything you can do? I'm not a miracle worker, Sheila. I'm an RV surgeon, trained to save the lives of large injured recreational vehicles, which is definitely a real profession. When your RV really needs saving, Progressive has you covered. See if you could save with a leader in RV insurance. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates covered subject to policy terms. everybody. Welcome to the Performance Anxiety Podcast. I'm your host, Mark, and I want to thank our sponsor, AKG, for sending us the Podcaster Essentials Kit. It is the best way to start your own podcast with the Lira mic and the headphones that come in the kit. It's the best possible way to start your own podcast. Joe Cardamone joins us this episode. And even as a kid, Joe was creative. His dad was a child actor. He started singing by humming the Star Wars theme during long car trips. And he found that art was very therapeutic for him. And it's been a driving force that has gotten him through some tragic times, including the deaths of two friends and band members. He started off as a punk kid in canker sores, transitioned into the Icarus line, and now to a solo career. He's also collaborated with some incredible people like Annie Hardy, Queen Kwong, Ian Ottaway, and Mark Lanigan. And their joint album, Skeleton Joe vs. Dark Mark, will hopefully be out soon. His latest project, Quarantina, is a wonderful multimedia release that is both musically and visually stunning. Follow him on social media and check out Quarantina on YouTube. Follow us at Performance ANX on the socials. Merch is found at performanceanx.threadless.com. And coffee can be donated to us at ko-fi.com slash performanceanxiety. So let's jump into this one with Joe Cardamone on Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Yo, this is Joe Cardamone, and you're listening to Performance Anxiety. <laughs> there we go. Where are you exactly again? Winchester, Virginia. Oh, shit. I got family in Virginia. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, whereabouts? I think they're like suburb of Richmond. Near, they're near DC. You know, they're kind of like okay, ex DC. Yeah, there's a lot of them out there. Yeah, man. They come in for whatever administration they're working for. That goes away, and then they just kind of stick around in the suburbs. Yeah, one of my uncles was Pentagon for a while. That makes sense. That makes a lot yeah. of sense. I'm about, I'd say. I think it's about 75 miles due west of DC. Okay. So I'm not okay. too far out. Cool. Is it is it pretty rural? It's nice. Yeah. I mean it's there's a lot of farmland out here, but uh I'd say that the town I don't know what the population is, but it's a decent sized area. There's a small college here, a Shenandoah okay. University, so it's a decent sized town what i like to do is kind of start from the beginning and uh first of all ian said to say hello oh cool so he cool. uh in fact i had when i had him on he, the, one of the first things out of his mouth after we wrapped up is you got to get up with joe cardone oh nice man that's so, sweet that's so, sweet of him yeah he he cracked me up he's, Hell yeah. he's something else <laughs> Hell yeah. 
He uh, he wanted me to ask you a question, but I think my kids are around, so I can't ask you. I I can't ask you right now. All right. <laughs> Whenever it's ready, let me know. I, it may just be peppered in with the other conversational topics here. I'm cool with it. Awesome. I want to know a little bit more about how you got into music in the first place. Um, I know you, you kind of grew up a little differently. I know, and I, I did find out through our mutual buddy, Ian, that your dad was a bit of an actor as a kid. He was. He what, was. What, so what, what, what did he do? What was he in? I mean, this is like ancient history by today's standards, but um, <laughs> he was... I, I, I don't remember the exact age that he really kind of kicked off, but it was really young, like 11 to 13, somewhere around there. And he really kind of jumped into it on his own, kind of just like walked onto the lots, you know, because back then it was a different situation than, it, you know, you, they didn't have snipers at right. the gate. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, he, you know, he just, he was driven to do acting. And my grandfather saw that and quickly became his manager. And um, he ended up, you know, getting parts in all kinds of old TV shows like Gunsmoke and Bonanza. Wow. And, uh, you know, ended up doing films, did like a William Castle film. Wow. Had his own TV show even for like a couple of seasons called It's About Time. It's about time. It's about space. About two men in the strangest place. It's about time. It's about flight. Traveling faster than the speed of light. Here is their tale of the brave crew. As through the barrier of time they flew. Past a fighting Minutemen. Past an armored knight. Yeah, so, you know, stuff that, like, you know, anyone under, you know, 50-something isn't going to really remember, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Um, because most of it's, like, black and white bygone era type shit. Yep. But, yeah, his, his entire childhood was pretty much acting until Vietnam hit. And my grandfather took the family to Australia, where my grandmother was from. Oh, wow. To kind of uh, save the kids from, uh, you know, getting drafted. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. So, and then, and your mom was a teacher, right? Yeah, she's an educator, you know? So she spent her entire life in education and studying to get better at education. You know, she, she uh, special specialized in like early childhood development and also, uh, you know, special education, probably because of me and my brother. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. That, that kind of dedication is amazing. That's, that's a special kind of teacher. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a vocation. You know what I mean? That's, that's like something you're called to do because it's, it's not like, uh, you know, it's not like you get rich right away from, being a teacher, you know, so right. it's, you want to, you know, she loves kids and she loves her kids and she wanted to do her best to kind of help kids make it through that. Did your dad become a teacher also eventually? Did he leave acting and, and do something else? Not really. He never became a teacher, but, uh, you know, he ended up working in the industry. I mean, the whole time I was a scrub, he was like, uh, working on the back lots of universal and shit like that, you know, and like hard jobs, like uh, hard jobs, you know, the kind of jobs where like, uh, the air nail gun would go off and go through someone's head and shit. Like he saw people die. Wow. It was, you know, it was hard cause he worked the graveyard shift. So we always had to be quiet during the day cause he worked the graveyard shift and would come home injured. And it was just, it was hard work, man. It, it was wow. union work. Oh, wow. And it wasn't like it is today where like people got paid to sit around in some of those jobs. Like it was hard work back then. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. You kind of grew up in a largely Hispanic neighborhood, right? So things. Yeah. Things were growing up for you were a little, little, I think I, I read somewhere you said you never really felt you know, at home either in your neighborhood or at school. Yeah. That's the thing is I, I like went to school on the other side of the tracks, you know, 
because my mom was a teacher and education was important and I kept getting kicked out of schools. Oh. So, um, you know, Catholic school was kind of like the, the final stop for me because public school wasn't working out. But, you know, Catholic school educations aren't exactly cheap. But, you know, no. since she worked for the archdiocese, we got some breaks here and there. And um, that it, it actually wasn't a bad experience for me, to be honest. It was small classrooms, tight knit kids, you know, and kind of, a, you know, a Benetton ad. You know, it was like kids from all kinds <laughs> of kids. Most of them had money, but it was all kinds of them, you know. Yeah. And uh, and then, yeah, where I kind of grew up, where our house was is largely Hispanic, Latino at, at that point. These days, not so much. But at that point, you know, it was still kind of gangland around here. Wow. Yeah. So what got you into music? What did you start really noticing and paying attention to music? Mm, I would have to say, I mean, the first record I remember requesting from my parents was Thriller. Wow. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like that was the, I was pretty young though. I mean, I was like six or something like that, you know, six or seven, I was pretty young, but that record, I was like, I want to, I want that record. And so they bought me that record. And I think I had thriller and, um, the score for John Williams score for star Wars, you know, and those nice. were my two LPs that like <laughs> I wore them out, you know? Yeah. You know, that's not unusual for the time. I don't, I, I wouldn't, say i don't think no not at all that was like the biggest shit in the world yeah you know yeah they were they were both insanely great records too you know so it's just it was a lot for a young mind to chew on you know and in, in fact i think i don't know where it is i just literally saw it two days ago i actually have the star wars soundtrack on vinyl just, yeah it sounds great huh? it's awesome yeah i yeah. still love that hmm it's a good record it was like probably the first music that i memorized and like would hum from memory in the car you know like i would hum the whole themes like while we're driving around <laughs> that must have, that must have been fun yeah. everyone else yeah <laughs> first of all humming music the entire time and then having these soundtrack scores yeah that's quite quite a trip yeah it was it was it was good times you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> the first record that I bought, though, with my own money or whatever, with a gift certificate, rather, was I bought two records, two tapes. And it was uh, Young MC and nice. Appetite for Destruction. Oh, wow. Yeah. Pretty so, broad spectrum there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's, you a, know? that's a lot different than the first two tapes I bought with my own money it was uh motley crew shout out the devil and megadeth peace sells okay so you're a couple years older than me then yeah yeah <laughs> in fact in a one week i'll be 48 okay yeah yeah so not not too many but enough yeah <laughs> one of the things i discovered in going back and listening to the icarus line is that that was in a time frame that band fell just perfectly in a time frame where i actually wasn't one of the few times I wasn't listening to tons of music because yep. I was uh, just starting to date my wife, didn't have a whole lot of income. And then we started a family almost immediately after we got married. And so I had no money at all to buy new music. So I missed out on it. So I'm going back now and listening to it and man, it's, it's amazing. It's exactly what I would have loved at that time too. So it was a wild band, you know, dude, it was crazy. And I want to, I, I got to get into it, but I want to find out how we got to that point before I get too deep into that. Sure. Did you start singing immediately or were you taking music lessons or anything? What, what really got you into playing music? Um, I mean, really art for me started with like painting okay. and visual arts, you know, just because, you know, for young bucks, like visual arts are sort of accessible, you know, or you can kind of just pick something up and go. And I seem to take to it pretty quick. And, um, it was also one of the few things that was therapeutic for my sort of personality because I did not get along at school well. And often was like, I don't know, just rubbing against like the sort of system that is set up over at school. So after school, at some point, the parents decided, why don't we 
throw them into some art classes. And that was kind of the first time that they saw a calm wash over me that maybe they hadn't seen before. Oh, interesting. You know, and so that was kind of the first expression. But um, I think at some point I started playing music in like fourth grade, something like that, when I met Alvin and we started kind of playing music at the same time in grade school. And, uh, you know, I was never really good at covers. You know, I learned Wild Thing or something and then kind of was just like, I don't want to, you know, I couldn't play Guns N' Roses songs, you know? Oh, yeah. Those shits are hard to play. So, like, especially for, like, little hands, you know? So I I think I got, like, two months of guitar lessons for my birthday or something, did those, kind of just hounded the guy about, you know, just give me whatever I need to know to teach myself, you know? And that's what he did. Oh, wow. From there on out, I was kind of just writing original material just as early as I could, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I I don't know. I'm not really sure why, maybe because, you know, the expression in original material wasn't like painting, you know, it was like I needed to be able to express. So that's why I was always kind of drawn towards like original compositions, you know? When did you start singing? Um, I mean, I started singing in the back seat when Star Wars was on, but like, (laughs) you know, I can't remember when I wasn't singing, but as soon as I had a guitar in my hand, I was, I always wanted to be a singer, but I didn't really know what that meant, you know? So like, I would just, you know, by default, I would sing, you know? So right around the same time, I would just start singing. I was like, I'll sing these songs, whatever. Yeah. Was, uh, Canker Stores the first band that you started? Kinda. I mean, it existed in like various forms before that. Like Alvin and I and like the neighborhood kids, we had other bands that were kind of like, you know, jump offs from like whatever was happening at the time, like early Radiohead and like Nirvana and Black Flag and whatever, you know, like whatever, whatever music was kind of accessible for our skill level, you know, after we like failed at playing classic rock covers, you know, um, we kind of jumped onto that stuff. But Kanker Stores was the first group that actually put out a record we had done tons of demo tapes you know like a handful at least of demo tapes up until that point either recorded them ourselves like i had a four track and we would record them in like alvin's parents apartment or you know save up some money and go down to a studio i mean even before canker stories we would save up and go to studios oh wow you know like i think probably even in eighth grade we had saved up some money to go track songs at a recording studio you know and did like five original jams wow that's yeah. impressive so we were really kind of driven super early to just do it i mean there was no sort of like you know intention beyond doing it but i really wanted to make make stuff at what point did uh, music really become something that you thought you could do professionally well we're still we're still working towards that <laughs> you know but I think the first time we really released a record sort of semi-commercially would be when we were 16. When I was 16, the Canker Stores put out a record. high school kids i was already promoting shows you know i was kind of like going around town tricking coffee shops into being all ages venues and we drag a pa down there you know and like jam the place with kids oh wow there'd be a hundred kids in their shop you know and then we'd have to find a new one because no one wanted to do that twice you know so So early on, I, I figured out how to kind of like make money doing it, which was kind of insane, you know, for a 16 year old kid to take home like a thousand bucks in a night, you know, that's kind of, that was, that was more money than I ever saw, you know, we got to split that up or yeah. you know, that's it or whatever, you know? So yeah, right around 16 is when, you know, I knew I could like flip it to make money. That's awesome. man. I, I can't even imagine 
doing something like that at that age. That's impressive to me. Well, I had zero drive within academics, you know, so, you know, all the energy kind of coursing through had to go somewhere. So that's, that's where it went was to like extracurricular music shit. Yeah. Then you had a, the tragedy of the, uh, the drummer, Tim Childs had died in a car accident. Was, yeah. When that happened, was that, I mean, was that a deterrent to continuing music or did you just figure that now this is what I have to do? I'm, I'm going to keep going. When Tim died, I forget how old we are. We were like 17, 18, somewhere around there. And um, that really just like, honestly, it made me more driven than I was before. Um, as soon as that happened, you know, it's like that's a young age to have someone super close to you around your same age. It's not your grandparents dying. It's not some shit like that. Yeah. It's like your peer is dead. And it's his story is over, you know, so yeah. kind of facing mortality at an age like that, it just put me into hyperdrive, honestly, you know, um, yeah. it, I think the next week I kind of blagged our way onto an existing tour and like, we, we didn't even have a band anymore. And I had to, you know, we had to like find this drummer in Bakersfield that we kind of knew and like taught him the songs in the pickup truck that we drove out there on the way. Like we drove out in two seater pickup truck, two people in the front, two in the back laying in between the gear, drove straight to Philadelphia and then started a tour that we weren't really booked on. I don't, they were like, I remember calling them and being like, Hey man, can we go on this tour? These guys, I don't even really know. And they're like, if you can get here, you can go on it. And so we showed up. Wow. And all of a sudden at every show they had to go in and be like, these guys are opening for us. Wow. You know? That's incredible. We were, yeah, we were fucking nuts, man. Was that still Cankers Wars or was that with the Icarus Line? That was the first Icarus Line tour. We, we hadn't even recorded anything or done anything. We had actually a demo from when Tim was still alive, when we were, the band was kind of like going through an evolution that we put on tapes ourselves and called it the Icarus Line. So we toured on some music we made with Tim. Oh, wow. That's, amazing. you know, which was kind of like, we, you know, to us that like meant something, you know? Yeah. I saw that one of the first shows you guys played was at one of the bars that I used to go to a lot when I lived in New Jersey. Uh, New Brunswick? Yeah. Melody Bar. Yep. I used to yep. go there a lot. A buddy of mine was in a band in the area. Uh, X, well, he's in a couple. I remember, can't remember the first one. It was X number five, I think, at that time. Okay. Okay. But, yeah. That gig was sick. It was us, Ink and Dagger, and I can't remember if they played, but everyone from Dillinger Escape Plan was there too. Oh, wow. You know, Man. it was just like, boom, all of a sudden a scene was created that's, that day. That's, I'm trying to think if, if I don't remember, it's one of the two, there's there, the two big bars there was with the Melody and the Court Tavern. Yep. And I tried, one just closed, one that like literally I think tore it down. I don't remember which one it was. Oh shit! Yeah, it, it happens. Yeah, unfortunately, it, it, you know, it last year there'll sped be, all that up too. There'll be there'll be new ones. Oh yeah, yeah. You know? so how did you guys come up with the name Icarus Line? Um, I mean, there's nothing great to say about that. <laughs> um, you know, I think it was uh, we needed we needed a T-shirt for that tour. We needed a name, and I think I just kind of thought of it. I don't know. I It's definitely one of those names that I was like, we'll let other people kind of like figure out what it means to them. And I've never really explained it and I'm still not going to. Okay. Know? Yeah. That's, <laughs> I can totally understand that. Were you writing most of the music at the time or was it kind of collaborative? No, it was me. Yeah. I was always kind of, uh, even more than today. I was, I was really, uh, it's weird. It, even though it was a super collaborative effort as far as like um, putting it together, I would almost program the instruments to a great extent, like someone would on an MPC or something like that. Like I would write all the parts, usually even the drum beats, I would kind of have an idea of what I wanted for every, every piece. And like, okay. I don't know, I never really talked about that in the early days at all, just kind of like, you know, gave everyone their space to take whatever credit they needed. But I don't give a fuck anymore. Half of us are dead. Yeah. And like, uh, that's, 
<clears throat> that's yeah it was like you know the the songs were f- fully formed and then in the jam room you would see the weak spots and that's when you know i would kind of finish arrangements is like as we play them it would kind of illuminate potential in specific areas of the piece or whatever okay yeah. and alvin ended up joining the band after you guys had started so he wasn't in the band originally but then he hooked up with you guys afterwards he was bereft you know he yeah. was really uh tim dying hit him hard i think he's didn't didn't think he wanted to play music that much anymore and he was just i think he had a good job maybe he was going to college for a minute i'm not really sure but you know we went and did the tour and then as soon as we came back he's like all right i'm ready let's go okay yeah what I liked a lot or the most, I guess, about Icarus Line is I love it when music seems like it's a, on the verge of exploding, like like yeah. literally like amps are about to explode. You guys actually go beyond that. that yeah. It's like the sound of the music exploding and then you kept going. like the record itself to sound like it was breaking sometimes you know what i mean not the whole time but like at moments it would be it it was always nice to kind of have the actual recording fall apart you know for 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 a split second like it like it couldn't be contained type shit but um you know it was always like a, a kind of a extremely confrontational band you know yeah very aggressive and that's what I liked about it. And then it's just, I like noise. I like a lot of noise. And so did we. Yeah. <laughs> Aggressive, but not really macho. You know what yeah. I mean? Thing. It wasn't like a, we're not a bunch of big, tough guys, you know, even though we're like tough kids, like it, it wasn't, you know, it's more like if the outsiders had a band than like a bunch of WWF wrestlers or some shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's great. I never I didn't think about that. I like that. You know, that's perfect. Then Alvin was stricken with cancer. And yeah. Is that, that, I know that that had to be incredibly difficult for you guys. Is that was, is that what ultimately just, you kind of decided that uh, the Icarus line was, was over at that point? Yeah. I mean, the last maybe three years of the group, I think I already knew that, you know, it was on borrowed time just as far as like a, you know, a creative outlet. It, it was kind of reaching its fullest potential and not in a bad way, actually in a good way to where it was finally doing what I hoped it would have done from the beginning, sonically. say after we made all things under heaven which was like the last record we made last record album played on soon as we were done like with production of that i pretty much knew that you know this is it we'll tour it we'll 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 go out there and support this thing but this is going to be it you know like i didn't there was nothing left to say and then he got sick so we didn't end up touring it and um you know that just seemed like the logical point to kind of turn the lights out on that chapter yeah you know and you ended up eventually touring with your brother right i did yeah with mark was that solo material that you were working on or was it icarus line stuff that you're just playing by yourself 
No, that was all new solo material, okay. you know? Yeah, like, without without Alvin, I'm not really ever going to play that stuff, you know, at least. I can understand not, that. Not in a band format. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe something someday for uh, my kids when I'm 8,000 years old, but, like, if they even care. But, like, yeah, it was all new material, you know? It was all okay. Holy War, which was, like, the first sort of, like, solo multimedia project I embarked on after the Icarus line exploded. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. How much of a gap was there between leaving Icarus line and, and Holy War? I want to say about a year or two. It's I'm not good with time, but like I spent about a year just developing which is like you know might sound a little bit lofty but i was fortunate i had you know a deal at the time that allowed me to develop and i had an idea of what i wanted to do you know because uh rock and roll was long since in the gutter for me you know it just wasn't an exciting genre anymore and uh i thought that you know, there's a way to do something to kind of carry the spirit of that on and kind of reach towards, you know, heroes of mine and contemporaries, you know, like, like good black music contemporaries and shit like that. So it just took a minute to kind of like figure out how to do that within my persona, you know? And I know Mexico City plays a role in this. How did you decide that Mexico City was where you wanted to focus on this? I'm not really sure how we decided that. I guess a producer friend, Nick Lanay, had a connect down there and kept like knocking on my screen door saying like, you got to go to Mexico City. Like they're going to understand what you're doing down there. And he even helped link it up. Wow. And uh, link me up with this dude, Alex, down there. And, uh, yeah, we just, you know, everyone was so open and friendly and we, we did a trip down there, did a bunch of shows, a bunch of screenings of the film. And it reminded me of London in like 2001, like the first time we went there, you know, it was just, there was still music publications down there that were like in print and people seemed to be really, really kind of open-minded to whatever whatever was going on as long as it had some blood coursing through it right. you know yeah you'd mentioned that in one of the films that i saw about it you had the william s burroughs connection there yeah bill yeah <laughs> you know if you can shoot your wife and get away with it that's what it sounds like a it sounds like a place to check out yeah you know? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's a beautiful place i don't know if you've ever gone down there but i haven't it i mean I'm from LA and that's like a sprawling metropolis, but it doesn't even hold a candle to Mexico city. You know, it's really, it's really like, yeah, man, it's just endless. It's just, wow. it's an endless city. So it's, uh, it's really breathtaking as you fly in, you know, it's, there's not much like it, you know, it's one of the biggest cities in the world, I think. And, um, once you get in there, there's like power lines and phone lines from generations so they've never taken the old ones down so the streets are just covered with these lines that cut the sky up oh wow crazy ways and it's yeah it's just a it left a deep impression on me and it was really beautiful you know it felt like a european city somewhat it like had had a little bit of that but its own thing you know it didn't remind me of america at all but in a great way i heard it's really dangerous I mean, I'm sure it is somewhere, but where I was camped out felt like, uh, you know, almost felt like Silver Lake over here or something. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah, it was nice as hell. You know, it was beautiful. The clubs, the venues, they were they were great. You know, so you could tell me we were in, uh, you know, I don't know, somewhere in Benelux. And I, I'd be like, okay, you know, I mean, wow. it really, yeah, it was really awesome, actually. There's cops everywhere, you know, and there's shit going down, but... I think it's like any place. It depends where you are. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. So the music that you wrote for Holy Way, it's it's a bit of a change from Icarus Line. It's a lot, lot more electronic, and mm-hmm. and there's some vocal effects on there. And it's... Mm-hmm. 
necessity because you wanted to keep it self-contained or was it something that you just wanted to explore well i i had been like making beats for years at that point just for my own pleasure you know like at the end of the day sit down and kind of like fuck around on the mpc to like blow off steam you know because i spent all day in the studio so of course i want to come home and make more music but uh you know i don't know it the fact that I could do music so quick on something like that, that, that had a lot to do with it, you know, cutting out communication with all others and just being able to get to the sort of like meat of an idea within like, you know, 20 minutes, yeah, like really appeals to me, you know, that, that kind of a rapid pace of production really appeals to me. I don't like pondering and contemplating. I like to do it. So that had a lot to do with it. And then also it just reflected my, my sort of viewpoint on rock and roll, which is like rock and roll from the beginning was kind of just like white dudes being influenced by black music, you know, and it's gotten further and further away from that as the years go on, you know, there's just like white kids listening to other white kids. And that's why everything sounds so fucking bland. But most of the music, contemporary music that I would listen to is like, uh, you know, rap music, really, because Gucci Mane or someone like that is like modern blues to me. So being able to sort of uh, relate to that, that spirit that's running through that shit was, uh, I don't know, that was just a it was a heavy, heavy influence on what, what I've been doing, you know? So yeah. You know, if, if Bowie was still alive and was my age, I'm sure he wouldn't be thinking much different, you know? So it's just true. That's, you know, that's kind of how I felt about it. And you were doing this all in your own studio, right? You, cause this, you'd built another studio. Was it Valley recording that you're working through now? Yeah, it's gone now. It was there for 10 years. I built it 10 years ago. And then the pandemic kind of like, and other situations, you know, they sold the building. It all kind of screeched to a halt right at the beginning of the pandemic. Oh, wow. And I built a studio at home. So now I'm like working out of the house, which for what I do is fine. I don't need a massive drum room. I built the studio to record the Icarus line. So massive drum room, you know, just a big studio for a band to jam and record in. And like, honestly, like the day to day in keeping something like that together turned into more of an albatross than anything at a certain point. I can believe that. Yeah. Do you still have that, uh, that Kurzweil synth that you used? I don't, (laughs) I, I don't hold on to things, you know, like, I don't hold on to stuff like things, gear. There's very few pieces of gear that I have sentimental value towards, you know, um, you know, I'll use something for a project and then let it move on to something else because I don't know, it's not about gear. You know, you could, you could put whatever in front of me and I'll figure out how to make something come out of it. So like, it's just never been my thing. You're the artist. The gear isn't. Yeah, exactly. The, The gear is just, you know, that's just like a vehicle to get you there, you know? Yeah. So I, I listened to Holy War, and, I, I, and what hit me first was Mark Lanigan in it. He rose from the ashes of death and dishonor, second coming of Trash Czar. Crawling out of a primitive prison, he came from East Los Angeles. No money, no jive, no shortcuts, no shit. There was something new in the smog horizon. In this city, the pollution is a beauty. As the sun wanes, it glows bright pink, beating the odds before and then beat back down. So once more, he rose to his feet. The 200-mile death stare. All the yeah. How did you meet up with Mark Lanigan and start working with him? Um, I mean, I've known Mark since 
the early 2000s, really, you know, um, when I was just like a young buck, he, uh, we did some shows with Queens of the Stone Age that Icarus Line did. And um, during those shows, I think he was the only band member I talked to. He was the first person I talked to. Oh, wow. I, and I wasn't really like that aware of him at that point. I mean, somewhat, you know, I was like a maniac, you know, like I just, you know, whatever. Yeah. But for some reason, I was like drawn to say hi to him standing backstage. So we talked for a little while and he seemed like, the kind of guy you know he seemed like my other friends you know yeah in a good way and uh <laughs> you know so i guess a couple of years after that when he dropped bubblegum he asked the icarus line to open the tour oh cool so we did the bubblegum tour and that was that was a cool cool experience for all harrowing and then i can imagine yeah we were all insane you know yeah. what i mean like <laughs> everybody was insane and then, you know, we just kind of loosely kept in touch. And he's, he'd always been, like, very supportive of what I was doing, you know. And, um, you know, he was one of those guys that helped keep, keep me going when I was kind of, you know, doubting whether I should do music at all anymore. Wow. And, um, yeah, when the project was done, I just kind of heard his voice on it. You know what I mean? It was one of those things where I was just like, I, you know, I could really hear him kind of, like, being the Greek chorus right here, you know? And oh, yeah. He was like, no problem. He came in, you know, read the thing, and it was in. And listening to it, I mean, he's the perfect voice for Rat King. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine anybody else doing that. You know, it is. It is. It's just like, that's how you kick it off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you know? Did you tour or play Holy War out a lot? Not really, you know? Um I did isolated shows and that was kind of more of the idea with this thing. Okay. Was that since it was just me and a screen, you know, I didn't, we could be, you know, it could be a little more of a selective thing. You know, yeah. I wasn't that interested in like going to Topeka and playing to like 50 people who maybe cared, you know, it's just yeah. like, I'm, I'm not really trying to do that ever again, you know, not for no good reason. Right. Right. You know, it was it was time to be a little smarter about it. So we did. I did about eight weeks with Mark in Europe. So that's a good chunk. You know, yeah. that was a, that was a good chunk of touring on that. And then did some things here in L.A. We promoted our own shows. Did a show at the studio. Did the Mexico City stuff. Some things here and there. But almost immediately when I was done with those kind of with with that little cycle i just jumped back in the studio and started working on the next okay one of the things that i've really enjoyed when i was exploring your your youtube channel is the the videos that you've done both for holy war and quarantina yeah they're they're so well done there's thanks man there's obviously storylines going through everything and connections from one video to the next who are your influences when it comes to visually, I guess? For Holy War, I think we were kind of like, uh, I, trying to remember what was really like on the TV at the time, probably like John Cassavetti's like killing of a Chinese bookie, shit like that. Yeah. Um, a lot of independent cinema from the seventies, Jodorowsky fucking always David Lynch. Yep. You know, he's um, everywhere. He's everywhere, man. I still watch his weather report every morning when I wake up. <laughs> um, is that what's, what's playing on Quarantina? It is, actually. I was going to ask you about that. You already answered Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's him. That's I love him. it. Yeah. Good morning. It's October 29, 2020, and it's a Thursday. Here in L.A., Pretty clear looking out there. Very still right now. 55 degrees Fahrenheit, around 12 Celsius. Today I was thinking about uh, New Orleans taking another hit from a hurricane. And then the song 
House of the Rising Sun came into my mind by the animals. Should be going up to around 80 degrees Fahrenheit this afternoon, about 26 Celsius. And it looks like we're going to be enjoying beautiful blue skies and golden sunshine all along the way. Everyone, have a great day. House of the Rising Sun came into my head. <laughs> exactly. Have a good day. It's it's a great way to wake up. That's awesome. You know, for someone who doesn't like waking up at all, <laughs> that helps. Yeah. <laughs> I mentioned that I was going to have you on to Ian, our, our buddy Ian Ottaway. Yeah. And who you you actually collaborated with on his album. I did. Which is a I did. great track, by the way. Town crooked economy. Fake news, 20th century. Yeah, man, I think it came out decent. I think it came out great. I, I like. I really like that album. Cool. And so, how did you end up meeting Ian? I met him at a Lanigan show on the Holy War tour. And I'm oh, trying to remember which one it was, but there's no way I'm going to remember. Yeah. Um, but that's where I'm pretty sure that's where we might've corresponded before that somewhat, okay. but yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's where the, where we kind of like press flesh. So you've collaborated with a whole bunch of really interesting people. So there's, you know, Lanigan, there's Ian Ottaway. Uh, you've had Annie Hardy that you've worked yeah. with. Yeah. And many times. Yeah, and, and uh, Ian mentioned something about Nick Cave. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, I engineered a soundtrack project with Nick and Warren, um, that movie Lawless. I kind of oh. ended up getting getting uh, thrown onto the crew for that one, and um, yeah, that was that was a cool that was a cool experience to to see those guys work, you know. I'm I'm a latecomer to Nick Cave, so I'm not even close to being up to speed. But I've had a bunch of friends that you got to listen to this, you got to listen to this. So I'm just trying to take it all in, and it's not easy because there's so much. Yeah, it's you know he's he's a prolific uh, artist, you know. So those yeah. guys are always working; they're always working on new shit. But it's real inspiring to see, you know. It's inspiring to see someone yeah. who uh, is super consistent and putting out, you know, meaningful pieces really consistently that and that's the thing you know it's he's not just putting out filler to to uh -huh. get some cash it's none of it's cash grab it's actually good work yeah you know it's i think the work is kind of like first and foremost you know which you know for anything that has any sort of guts that's how it has to be yeah so ian wanted me to ask you what love roses are uh, love roses. Well, um, love roses are in the nineties, back in the prehistoric age when I grew up, you would go to like, um, Zeus, shut up. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, we had my dog on here a little while ago. I don't know if you heard him or not. Right. Um, you would go to a liquor store, you know, to buy like a, a magazine and some bubble gum or whatever. And there would always be these like glass tubes with a little plastic rose in them yes. on the counter called a love rose, you know, and basically crack pipes. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's what love roses are. It's like, yeah, it's a, a crack pipe with a rose in it. Oh, 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 oh. 
realize that. <laughs> I don't know how many people did. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, like most of my shit, a lot of it is like an inside joke to myself. Speaking of inside jokes, Ian did ask me when you were going to come around and finish off his dick. Oh, gross. So, it's gross, I dude. might probably, I, I think I might edit that out. Yeah. Yeah. But at least I, at least I upheld my end of the deal and I asked you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's he's gonna wake up, wake up from the dream long before that's gonna happen. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> when did the idea for the Quarantina series come about? I mean, it all kind of was like a rapid evolution nearing the end of like the pandemic situation here in LA. You know, like uh, personal life upheaval and a year of not really doing much yeah, was kind of built up to the point where all the energy had to go somewhere or it was going to be uh, a full on just like meltdown, you know, it was like yeah. a nuclear reactor was on 13. So I jumped into the studio because I kind of didn't know what else to do. And I didn't really have a plan. It was not like I had already had two records done. I have two records that are unreleased. You oh, know? wow. Two albums that are just sitting there. And, um, Man. you know, they, it just didn't seem like the right time to put that stuff out, considering the state of the world and just kind of how things were going. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I went into the studio because I just honestly didn't know what else to do with myself. And, um, you know, within a couple of weeks, I had busted out like 19 songs, 20 songs, something like that. You know, and they're not like traditional songs in, in the sense where they like all have verses and choruses and shit. But like, I wasn't really trying to do that. It was just uh, seeing what you're thinking, put it down and move on, you okay. know? Yeah. So I had a bunch of instrumentals laying around like I always do. I always have instrumentals. There's always tons of those. So I just put those into a session, Crow Tool session, and just would sing two a day. Wow. You know, and just like get it done. So once I got that done, I didn't really know what else to do with myself because I still felt fucked up. And from there, I shared it to a few like close confidants. You know, I kind of mm -hmm. sent like I always do. I send music out to like the close ones. And, you know, they urged me that I should release this stuff, you know, okay. and uh, the label that I was signed to or that I am signed to Sonic Ritual one of the heads over there, Todrick was like, man, this is great. We should release this. And I was like, okay. And, you know, next thing you know, we're designing jackets for records and, um, wow. you know, film is kind of like, uh, film is like being in a band to me more than anything these days, you know, because it is a team sport and, and it's not a band. Yeah. You know, I don't have to fucking play instruments. We can, we can make something and it's just something, it's what, I, it's what I love to do. I love it just as much as anything I've ever done artistically. So. Oh, that's awesome. We decided, you know, me and the crew were like, let's, uh, let's make one a week for 19 weeks for every track. And, uh, we just committed to doing it. And for some reason, Corey decided she wanted to do it too. And we're off to the races. That's awesome. I mean, she's, she's done a lot. She's had quite a career herself. Totally. Totally. We've worked together a lot over the years. She's a good friend and for, I, you know, I, I, she had never really kind of like acted in anything besides maybe like music videos, but instinctually I just knew that she would be able to like, I knew she would be able to deliver a portrayal of the character that needed to go down in, in the series. Oh, she does a fantastic job. It's it's the two of you have such great chemistry on that. It's mind blowing the stuff she's done. Honestly, you know some of, some of the scenes. You know, um, the one of her like uh, weeping in the bathroom is just like oh yes. You know. Yep. It's it's like great cinema to me. You know, I really like it. It really it's really, really it, impressed. Yeah, I mean, and it's just a, a close up of of her. And it That's just, it. to be able to, to pull off emotion like that, it, it, and just, all you're seeing is her face, and it, but it's telling a story, and it's just, yeah. that's yeah. 
beautiful to me. I was as a photographer for you. I went to college for it, and uh, okay, I absolutely love when I can see something beautiful like that. Same, you know. I didn't go to school for anything really, but I, you know, when something is moving like that, it's just, uh, you know, uh, I couldn't even look at her while she was doing the take because I was starting to tear up. You know what oh. I mean? It was, it was like that. I couldn't even. I couldn't even look. You know, it was. It was really intense and. She's just been great, man. I'm like so, I'm so impressed by her performance and dedication to it. And it's just been, it's, it's been one of the best experiences of my life, you know, from a very sort of low point to, um, you know, making something that we're all proud of and just something, doing something positive together, making something, you know, which is like, yeah. that's what I love to do is make shit. Yeah. So this has been awesome. You able to create something in a time where it's almost impossible to be creative, you know, yeah. at least with, with a group because nobody was supposed to be near we each had, other. Yeah. We had to be very careful at the beginning, you know, before, you know, Corey got the vaccine very early. Yeah. Um, and we were, we all kind of jumped on it as fast as possible, but we had to, you know, everyone had to be very careful about, you know, where, you know, we already were, but even more so because we're getting together as a group, you know, so we yeah. had to be very careful about who was around while we were filming and, you know, it, we kept it really, really tight. Yeah. And filming is not an easy task in the first place. And we have to add those extra layers to it. It just makes it even more difficult. I mean, the first eight episodes, everyone, but the people on camera had masks on, wow. you know, you know, it was like, it was like that. And it's so beautifully shot. That's the one thing I absolutely love. Well, not the one thing, but that's one of the things I absolutely love about the whole series. The yeah. quality of the work is incredible, not just musically, but visually. Yeah. It's, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate. Like my team is talent, you know, yeah. like they're all talent. So like, uh, Jacob, who's like the main cinematographer, we've worked together, you know, since the beginning of the Holy War stuff and, uh, Travis, who's also shooting and contributing in like all kinds of other ways we've worked together since we were kids, you know? Wow. So it's, it's a tight crew. Everyone's known each other. And, um, you know, there's not a lot of, I don't like explaining things too much, you know, when we're like going there, mm -hmm. when we're creating, you know, as little dialogue as possible, which I don't know how great that is for a director, but you know, <laughs> uh, with people that know you, you know, you have other languages to kind of uh, guide people towards what needs to happen. You know, we all kind of have like a, a common artistic language. So it's it's not so much a struggle, you know. Well, you're obviously comfortable with everybody in the crew because I don't yeah. you look very natural. And yeah, maybe that's your dad's side coming out of you. Maybe a little bit, you know, maybe <laughs> a little bit. You know, we just want to do a good job, you know, and kind of like do a sort of honest portrayal that isn't too slanted one way or the other. And just kind of something that maybe like reflects shit that other people have gone through over the, this period, you know? Yeah. Well, musically, my two favorite parts are part nine with Leviathan crushed skull. Yeah. You were drowning. That's a lot different than the other music. It, it's a little heavier. And then mm -hmm. Baby Blue, part 17. Yeah, that, Baby Blue. Again, it's the, like a rock, rock song. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the one with, with um, a more typical structure to it. And sure. it's also the only visual that's, that's in color. Yeah. Slowly up the hill, but coming down too fast. Such a beautiful person, pictures to make it last a Yeah. 
that's a bit striking too. So, but I mean, Leviathan wasn't even like done till the day we made the video. Oh wow! So I've been like recording other music for the film as we've been going. So there was the original 19 songs, and then any of the other music that you hear, I've been doing to sort of uh, strengthen or further tell the story as we go. Okay, so that explains why the the first few there's only one track, and then a few it's it'll say Leviathan slash Crystal. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, it's been kind of a, an evolving project, you know, in the moment. I mean, the way we do the films here is like we edit the films, where the studio is, where we shoot them. So everything is happening in tandem. You know, if it's like, hey, how long do we need the intro to be? Like two minutes. Okay, I'll go down to the studio and make a piece of music that's like two minutes and 15 seconds so that we have exactly what we need we can cut to it, you know? And so it's a very sort of like holistic approach to making audio visual shit. That's awesome. And like you may visually, or maybe, uh, I, I guess visually the, you'd mentioned my favorite, the part 11 cluster B, mm. which is just, it's just so emotional. It's, it's just incredible, but yeah, it's stunning. And you've got an album that you've worked on with Mark Lanigan coming out soon, I believe. Right. That's true. I yeah. did hear I a song uh, today. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So I did hear the uh, Skeleton Joe Manifesto. Yep. But that's really cool. Will you ride up on a chopper? Will you walk the railroad tracks? Will he fly by helicopter? Will he come by Cadillac? He's coming, he's coming. That good-looking man, Skeleton Joe. He's coming. <laughs> Is the rest of the album uh, similar, like electronic sounding with Mark? Um, yeah, but it's like it's a it's a day to night record so okay i would say the first half of the record has no drums on it and maybe maybe kind of more closely resembles some of the quarantina material oh cool and then the second half of the record almost turns into like a berlin four in the morning situation oh wow (laughs) yeah so it kind of like evolves from uh, this sort of forlorn crooning moment into uh, drugs and despair. Sounds all the food groups, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I love, like you said, the crooning style scene that that you've done on whole, some of them on Holy Wars, some through Quarantina, and I'm excited for uh, the, the Dark Mark versus Skeleton Joe album to come out. This is there a release date? for it i don't know i mean I, they're talking about october ish you okay. know so i think so you know it'll be out before the end of the year i oh. think that's like the safest thing to say is it going to be in a multiple formats or is it going to be like a vinyl only kind of a thing? it'll be vinyl and digital yeah okay yeah awesome. yeah well man look, i have kept you for quite a while here um cool. almost an hour at this point so thank you we did it. We did it, man. Where can people follow you and, and, and get some information and the news about Skeleton Joe versus Dark Mark and anything else you're doing? Just type my name into Google. Something will come up. <laughs> awesome, man. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate you just killing some time with me. <laughs> yeah, likewise, you know? Likewise. Thanks for taking the time.
R-V-E-R. Sponsored by Progressive Insurance. Oh, that new doctor is dropped at gorgeous. Oh, please, he's just another RV League educated surgeon with good hair. No, he's different. Nurses, we got a classy motorhome with a detached driver's side mirror. Meet me in the OR. Stat. Right away, doctor. No, 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 she's on break. I'll handle this one. Oh, you conniving little... When your RV really needs saving, Progressive has you covered. See if you could save with a leader in RV insurance. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates covered subject to policy terms. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.